You're listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero Podcast. Hello, Rocco and Alex. How are you doing? Greetings. Let me introduce us. Uh, I'm Robert Wright, uh, publisher of the Non-Zero Newsletter. This is the Non-Zero Podcast. And you are Rocco Miich and Alexander Campbell. And we're going to have kind of a debate slash discussion about uh, the perils posed by AI, whether whether or not they're they're big and whether they may even qualify as existential. Um, and the way I actually stumbled into this debate is on Twitter, I guess. It, I, I kind of found myself uh, alerted to an incipient conversation you two were having. I guess somebody was saying, well, Alex, you should debate Rocco. And, and then... Uh, Somebody suggested it happen uh, on my podcast, so that's where it's happening. Um, let me say that this is not going to be a classic debate where I, you know, give five minutes to one, five minutes to the other. I have my views. I will share them. It, this is an informal conversation, but we certainly do have two, I think, clearly contrasting views that we can juxtapose. Uh, Rocco, as you will discover, is considerably more alarmed than Alex is. Uh, and somewhat more alarmed than me. I think I'm kind of in the middle, and I, I honestly don't know which one of you I'm closer to. Uh, first, a little bit about uh, both of you. Uh, Rocco, uh, I gather you're a member of the rationalist uh, community. Yes, and, that's correct. And also a member of longstanding of the kind of alarmed about AI community associated with Eliezer Yudkowsky. Yeah, that's uh, true. I gave a talk on this in 2010, so this is not particularly new for me. So you're a veteran alarmed person. You're not, you're not I'm, new to yes, the game. Yes. Okay. And, and you can, and I'm really glad because, uh, you know, some of the scare scenarios I think really need fleshing out. In fact, what was happening on Twitter when I stumbled into this was Alex was saying, people keep talking about this paperclip thought experiment and they never give yeah, me anything right. more plausible right. than that. I want to get into that. We'll explain <laughs> to people what that is okay. if they don't know. But let mm. me, uh, uh, first of all, say so you're also apparently responsible for some famous thought experiment or, or yes, I'm, I'm famous for Rocco's basilisk, which had some kind of mimetic, uh, cash back in the, you know, teens. Um, it was like, okay. oh my God, what if we're in a simulation by some kind of future artificial intelligence, uh, oh. people freaked out about it. I was actually very surprised by the amount of attention that got. It was totally uh -huh. not my intent. It was totally not my intention to make that a big thing. To um, yeah. it's, it's, you know, you write a lot of things in your life, you have a lot of ideas. Mm -hmm. And then this one thing that was like a footnote in a post about something else yeah. goes like globally viral. Yeah. That's what, that's what, uh, Freeman Dyson told me once. It's like, for some reason mm. it's, it's your jokes that get attention in the end. Um, but, yeah. uh, so, uh, mm. and, we, and I hope I want to get into that, uh, thought experiment later. If we have, if we have time, I, I'm right. all for maybe, maybe, maybe just for the paid experiment. subscribers so that people who well, hear this uh, we'll wait know the very what end, maybe when, when, yeah. when only the chosen few are among us. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> and then Alex, uh, you described yourself. I should also say Rocco, you have actual hands-on experience building some of these models, uh, machine learning stuff. I have, and, so yeah, I have done a lot of machine learning. I haven't built a large language model, but that's a very elite thing because you need a lot of hardware to do that. Mm -hmm. um, it's very much a team effort to build things that big, but yeah, I've built sort of small convolutional neural networks from scratch. I, I'm a mathematician by training, so um, I, it's not like I'm just some kind of philosopher bro who doesn't know what 
a partial derivative is, that kind of thing, right? Okay, good. I'll play that role. Philosopher bro does not know what a partial derivative is. I'll fill <laughs> that niche in the conversational uh, ecosystem. So Alex, uh, you describe yourself as more of a practitioner than, you know, a, a, an engineer, I guess. You have an AI company called Rose AI, which doesn't do, doesn't do large language models, but it's a little more niche than that. But it, it I guess it reflects the fact that you got into this via kind of financial markets uh, and quant stuff. And do you want to say anything more about uh, where you're coming from here? Yeah, I would just say as someone who's tried and failed and succeeded in various capacities to you know use data to trade markets, you often come up against kind of the leading edge of machine learning. I've also built my own models at various points in time, tried to use a lot of different models, understand where they work, understand where they don't work. Um, and so, you know, I'm both excited and, you know, apprehensive about the future, but um, kind of coming at this more, I would say, from a practitioner's perspective. Okay. So let me, uh, let me start the conversation by, I want to eventually get to, uh, you know, around to try to do an actual taxonomy of kinds of threats, like, you know, sheer social disruption via, you know, automated unemployment, uh, the weaponization of AI, the possibility of the AI itself in some sense going rogue, you know, yeah. uh, and, 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 and maybe those are the three main ones. I want to get around to that, but I want to start out with a specific scenario that actually came across last night while perusing Twitter, which was uh, uh, promulgated uh, by you, Rocco. I was on my, <laughs> my, my Ukraine war list, and I follow a guy named uh, Anatoly Carlin. I, oh, yeah. I follow him because he's a Russian nationalist who himself follows the war, but he also has an identity as kind of a tech visionary, crypto enthusiast. I don't know, maybe mm -hmm. a transhumanist. I'm not sure what he's, all he yeah, is. Yeah, he's a transhumanist. Okay, yeah. so, uh, and he was, quote, tweeting you. And he said, uh, Rocco perceives January 2020 vibes and allows a major collapse of some sort within the next few months. And then he says he's not endorsing this scenario, but he thinks it's an interesting possibility he says, we're obviously entering entirely uncharted waters so far as what bots can do for good or ill. Now, what he was referring to is you had quote tweeted uh, a guy. This all started with somebody saying, here's another amazing thing that ChatGPT does. Look, I just told it to go research these five waterproof shoes shoe products. Give me the pros and cons. Then somebody else quote tweeted that and said, imagine you have a tool like this, but instead of sending it out to do market research, you send it out to hack. That's it. The only bottleneck is that AI can't hack as well as human professionals yet. So we have like a few months, question mark, and then you tweeted, uh, quoted him saying, so we have like a few months. And then you said, uh, assume the internet dies in a few months. What then? How should one prepare? I guess you need a bunker, right? Like it will be chaos. Okay. So I, I'd like yeah. you to elaborate on that. And then Alex is going to tell us why actually we should not be concerned at all. And we should not yeah. build a bunker. Right. So I think you absolutely should be prepared for a uh, SHTF scenario. Um, now, whether that is likely to happen is another question. And I'm a little bit torn on this because when you look at the stuff that people are actually building at the moment and the open source stuff that's happening, the pace of progress is rapid. Um, so it is possible that at some point this year, something bad happens, right? Um, you know, there, there are already people who have created 
like they call them baby AGIs. They basically have a language model and they use it to prompt itself. Um, and they maybe add some kind of uh, permanent sort of long-term memory to it so that it can make long-term plans. And, you know, then somebody created one called Chaos GPT, whose goal was to like destroy the human race. And it just like goes through and sort of brainstorms ways to kill people and, it, you know, how to like just all of the crazy stuff. And like the stuff it comes up with is kind of dull, right? Let's be upfront about this. But um, we have to be a little bit careful with, you know, the, the point when you can still react to these things is before they become really bad, right? If this is like January 2020, which I kind of like warned about in, you know, like the late January, I was like, this is going to be really bad. Like, you know, 5 million people could die. The pandemic. Um, Right, like, you know, the early stages, it will seem silly, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which, is, which is kind of, um, you know, disconcerting because when you have the situation where something obviously new and potentially very disruptive is happening and most people are being very dismissive of it, that's when it's maximally dangerous, right? Because that is when, the, you know, obviously something is brewing. Um, the uncertainty is very high. Um, and this is when you actually get a chance to act because nobody else is acting yet because it hasn't happened yet because it's not obvious yet, right? The point at which COVID became obvious for Europeans and Americans was when a bunch of people in some town in Italy all died. Mm -hmm. And there were like scenes on the news of like, you know, like people on the floor in hospitals, like coughing up blood and dying. It was like, oh my God, this is like a movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then people were really scared. And that was probably the high point of risk for COVID because, you know, after that, we gradually got more and more, you know, it narrowed down the properties of this virus from something that could be anything to a very specific virus with a specific mortality rate, which in fact was very dangerous to older people, but it was very harmless to younger people. And if you were in the middle, it was somewhere in the middle. And like, mm -hmm. you know, the, the risk distribution was actually exponential. Um, so it's like the, you take the exponential of your age, right? And that's how risky it is, right? Like two to the power age. But um, you think, just to be clear, you think the AI yeah. thing could be way, way, way worse than I mean, COVID it could be was. way worse. Like, it could be way worse. The other problem with the AI thing is it's way more uncertain. So we've been surprised by what GPT-4 can actually do when you prompt it well, when you use various techniques to try and make it better. It's obviously not at a human level in reasoning yet. Um, it's kind of dumb it makes silly mistakes it gets confused um it when you try to make it correct itself sometimes it does but sometimes it makes things worse so it's sort of like this is in the sort of lower regions of human intellect mm -hmm. right um but uh, again but we, uh, well go ahead and finish and then i have a, yeah. a, a so, so we so we the reason i'm sort of flagging this as, as being somewhat risky Mm -hmm. and somewhat scary right now is that depending on how quickly this gets better you know when this thing is in the middle region of human intellect that's dangerous because one person like you or me or alex isn't that dangerous but you know this thing is like oh you can copy and paste it so if you have one and you have in a hardware you could have a hundred million of them right if you have the hardware to run them on right mm -hmm. and you know the the versions of these LLMs that have not been uh, sort of um, made safe using reinforcement learning with human feedback, RLHF, 
they will just do anything, right? So this Chaos GPT thing, I believe it uses like GPTJ, an open source uh, large language model. So, you know, it will just do anything. If you tell it to like brainstorm how to kill people, it will absolutely do that. Mm-hmm. And right now, what's protecting us from that is that it's dumb, right? Mm-hmm. Not that it's good. Okay. So it's dangerous for it to get smarter. And okay. it has been getting smarter at a rate which has surprised us to the upside. So I mean, I'm not saying there is a high probability that the shit hits the fan in the next three months, but I was starting to get that vibe. Right? Okay, so- now, I know that's sort of frustrating. If you're a rash as well, you have to have a probability distribution, yada, yada, yada. But like, I mean, I was thinking about this yesterday, and I'm not really sure that I'm able to sort of home in on something. I mean, you could say, well, you know, what's the chance that the internet really does break in the next three months? And I'd say, I don't know, maybe like 1% or something if I really right. think about it. But that's terrifying. Like, I mean, yeah. you know, if it's our society ca- is like totally if dependent upon the internet, right? The food will stop arriving in the shops and stuff like that. Yeah, if you're um, sure that yeah. if you're sure that that if you if you feel confident that a truly catastrophic scenario like way worse than COVID has a higher than one percent chance of happening, even equal it, to one percent. Yeah, even it, equal it, to is 1%. Your, it is your duty to stand on a street corner and mm-hmm. scream about it because obviously the world is not treating it that way yet. <laughs> Right. right. And, and, and it doesn't so, necessarily have to be in the next few months. It could be nine right. months. It could be but 15 let me, months. Let me, let me yeah. ask you just to be, to be clear. So mm. there's various kinds of scare scenarios. The one that I most associate with the kind of less wrong Yudkowsky community is one where the AI itself um, either I can't. And I, and honestly, I sometimes have trouble getting clear on what it is he's saying, but, but uh, either the AI itself kind of has malicious intent and being smarter than we are ultimately wins, or we just fail to constrain it. So it kind of acts as if it has malicious intent as in the famous paperclip thought experiment. You tell it, you tell (laughs) it to, to, uh, to maximize paperclip production, not an instruction I'd give anybody, but in this thought experiment, somebody does. And yeah. you, you fail to say, oh, well, oh, by the way, stop before you start like chewing up my car and turning it into paper clips. And so it, yeah, yeah, turns yeah. Everything it's, into, it's okay, so like that, just go get out of control. Right, yeah. But let me, let me ask the, the scenario I saw you trotting out on Twitter last night was not uh-huh. that. It was the, as I understood it, it was the weaponization of AI by malicious, a, a malicious human being. So we've got these two right. things we've got the AI being the problem. Then we've got its weaponization being the problem, either by a single actor, small number of actors, or by a nation state, or by yes. who who knows what group. Yes. And then the third thing it seems to me is social disruption. So anyway, uh, mm. I'm going to turn to Alex, and it's and what's on the table right now, Alex. Apparently, is the weaponization of this by malicious individuals or some group of them. And I got to say that got my attention last night because I had been so focused on trying to get Eliezer to to get clearer on, on how what's going to motivate the AI to rise well, up against this. That no, let me, yeah. let me give Alex a chance okay. that, uh, that I hadn't really thought as clearly as I should about individuals weaponizing it. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny. I had a conversation that's going, uh, live, uh, today with a, uh, a guy named Michal Kozinski. You may know of him. He's a psychologist at Stanford. You know, he kind of coaxed ChatGPT into taking over his computer, and it was about to do that, and he pulled the plug. But, 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 he was saying, you know, it could, you could get it to do that. Okay, with all that as, as preface, Alex, calm us down. 
Well, I think it's really important to notice that the, the goalposts have already moved, okay? There is a gigantic distinction between existential risk and catastrophic risk, first of all, and second of all, between catastrophic risk and harm. So it's probable that new technologies will create harm. It is probable that state actors or malignant actors who are misaligned with our norms will use technology to harm people and that that could be catastrophic. And the irony, I think, is that the, the, you know, the community that's talking about this is using the stakes of existentialism or existential risk to justify things which, to my view, increase the odds of catastrophic harm. Hmm. And what do I mean by that in particular? Well, in order to have an existential problem, you need a way for the AI to get misaligned and you need a mechanism by which that AI to commit harm. Well, it seems much more likely that, first of all, those with norms significantly different than ours, for example, the social credit system in China or the people in Iran running around trying to find women without their hijabs, will use AI to advance their goals. They already are doing this. Mm -hmm. This is not a question that we have to answer. The second question then becomes, well, what is the mechanism by which harm occurs? And this is where Roka and I kind of had this back and forth. And you start inevitably getting into things like bioengineering, you know, drones, nuclear weapons, all things that existing state actors are already using to threaten world catastrophic peace. And so to me, the irony of this whole kind of argument is that when Eliezer is out there saying, we need to bomb data centers in China to prevent Did he say them that? Did from, he actually say that? Yeah, he said, if they don't come well, on board, I, I we're going like to bomb their data centers. I feel like I should a little bit here. I, I don't think he actually said we should do that. I think he said the stakes are high enough that if it comes down to it and peaceful, lawful methods are no longer working, then we should do that. That's what they always sure. say. After and, the and negotiations have failed, and after exactly. the police have failed, exactly. and after these things have failed, then and, and I, I we should, yeah. And yeah. I pressed him and he said, not today, not today, which is the oh, only oh, thankful reassuring. part of the whole experience. Exactly. <laughs> right? And so if you're telling me that we have a state actor which is committed to using AI, they are already an existing threat, that threatening their 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 technological process is going to make them somehow come to the table and like not let the genie get out of the bottle, to me seems like kind of on face ridiculous and, and more likely to provoke them to using those AI tools to harm us. And so for me, the focus on existential risk without any real connection to how that risk could get unaligned and actually hurt us is ignoring the very real and present harm that is occurring with AI today, which is state actors, people we don't like, running around using technology like they always do to commit harm. And when okay. you view it in that lens, it becomes a very clear and easy game theory experience where it's like, would you rather the allies have developed nuclear weapons or would you have rather, rather Imperial Japan? And, and to me, that, that, that then leads you to be more of an accelerationist because if you believe in your norms, you believe in promoting them. So an accelerationist being someone who wants to accelerate the, the pace of the technological evolution. Being someone who says we shouldn't unilaterally shut down all our data centers while there is a nation state that is bent on global power that's going full steam ahead. So we, should, we should develop the, our technology so they don't get ahead of us. That's the logic. Yeah, and that we and that we have an obligation uh, owing to the probability of catastrophic risk to do that. And, and it's actually in our interest to make sure that they don't get ahead of us because that's the easiest way to get the harms that this community is worried about. Because they could use it against us. The concern in that scenario isn't just, and I don't know if, I assume this wouldn't be sufficient grounds from Eliezer's point of view to bomb them, but maybe it would. The, con the concern isn't just that they would use this against their own people. At least in your view, Alex, what, no. what justifies the accelerationism 
is the threat that a nation state would use this against uh, us. I mean, we're all, like, we're hacking them, they're hacking us. This is already happening. Like, mm -hmm. this isn't something that's like theoretical paperclip world. Okay. Like, there are thousands and maybe hundreds of thousands of engineers currently fighting like a gray market war in the internet to, to identify each other's financial systems, you know, telecommunication systems, energy systems, and break them down in the form of a conflict. And if you're telling me that a really, really smart robot is going to be useful in that pursuit, then I get pretty worried about people that I don't trust using those robots against me. Okay, but I will say that the scenario that, that Rocco uh, highlighted last night is a little different from that, and I don't think it justifies acceleration, but you tell me, Alex. He's talking about advanced AI, if it's available to everyone, there being a high likelihood that at least one of those people will be clever and malicious and can well, unleash I mean, that's, already, that's that's already happened we you know this chaos gpt thing where somebody set up a mini like a baby agi and told it to like work out the best way to destroy the human race like that's not hypothetical somebody's actually done that and then posted the the video on the internet right it's just the oh. reason that it hasn't done anything bad is because these systems are dumb Although, they come up with dumb but, ideas yeah but 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 let me drill down on that to in to my mind the thing to worry about in the near term isn't an AI that can come up with a whole new kind of clever plan. What we were, what, what was being talked about last night on Twitter, as I understand it, was a pretty clever guy who realizes that if he can take the AI more or less as it is now and say, look, hack, go out and hack things and then use those computers to multiply, whatever the scenario is, right? Yeah. It's, it, but it's a relatively mundane strategy mm -hmm. and the guy's clever enough to take the AI and unleash it. Let, let's just, yeah. that was the thing that you got my attention last be, night. You don't have to be clever to unleash this anymore. Right. It's really easy. You don't even have to work out how the AI is going to do the bad thing. You mm -hmm. just set it in a loop and you tell it to like, you know, work it out yourself. And you can even say, work out strategies for how to reorganize your prompt so that your strategies for doing bad things are more effective, mm -hmm. right? And get and, to do yeah, stuff note, like that. But note that none of this stuff we're talking about is, is existential. So if we want to talk about catastrophic risk, we can hive off the existential part of the conversation, but then note that our reply to this technology and our willingness to use violence and force against it should be proportionate to the level of risk. Oh, yeah, but which in well, this case, me, it's not me, existential. Let, can let, I just so interject, just Alex? I, I wouldn't, I would, and then I'll give you, uh, I'll give you both a chance, but, but Alex, I, I would say um, my point wouldn't set aside violent intervention, which I'm not a supporter of generally, but my point would be that the scenario of the of the uh, rogue, malicious human actor harnessing this stuff seems to me a case against accelerationism. And in that sense, very different from the nation state scenario you were trotting out. It doesn't seem to me to be an argument for accelerationism, whereas the nation state incarnation of it may or may not be, you think it is, but you, you take my point that this is qualitatively yeah, totally. different in its implications. Totally, and I'm willing to eat that harm. I think it's likely that people will use these robots to some degree of harm, just like they use guns to harm, just like they use all kinds of stuff to harm. And you know, if you could tell me that everyone could sit in a room and be kumbaya and decide to slow down together, I might support that. But the reality is that you're in a dynamic where there is no ability to do that. We can't even control nukes. How are we going to control, you know, hard drives? Um, it just seems likely. Like it, it's the same. Well, it's mean, the we, same kind of. We, we do control right, nukes. We we do control nukes, right? I mean, the nuclear non-proliferation regime has been pretty successful, right? There are a lot of countries in the world. Very few of them have nukes. 
They've never been used like since the first time, which was before we had I mean, mutagen on proliferation. We're talking about timelines, like roll the clock for a hundred years, like imagine a bunch of small nukes powering cities, like imagine Iran and Saudi Arabia and India and Iran. Like it's almost guaranteed that there is some potential problems there. And, and we have gone to war multiple times to try to prevent it mm-hmm. in a bumbling way. And so, I mean, you know, my point is not that these things won't commit harm. It's that all of the res- the responses around their harm should be placed in that kind of context, that they're not existential and that they are pr- primarily problems with individuals or states that have significantly misaligned values. So are we all oh, defining, I, I, can I just say, are we all defining existential as literally wiping out the human species entirely? Okay, because there's yeah, very few the of those is. risks, but I would also point out that there's a big distance between that and the worst calamities that have ever afflicted the planet. Like I would go to pretty extreme measures to prevent a replay of World War II, and yet that is a long way. That was nowhere near existential in the strict sense, yeah, right? So, exactly. so there's a spectrum of catastrophes let, here. Let, let me just object. I'm being mischaracterized slightly here. I do believe that AI is an existential risk. It's just that it's not an existential risk next Tuesday, right? The existential risks might come in like 2028 or maybe 2038. Yeah, but you have to define, yeah, but you, but it's income, if you're going to say it's yeah. existential and then demand something proportional to an existential threat, which I agree is a pretty big deal, like a, mm-hmm. a, you know, a comet hitting a, the, the world would be a pretty big deal. We should all mm-hmm. work together to solve it. I think it's incumbent on the community that's saying that this is the problem to identify an actual mechanism. And then in that approach, we might just solve the mechanism, right? If the problem is bioengineering, then then look at bioengineering. If the so problem I, is nuclear I think proliferation, the, look at nukes. Yeah, so I think there are plausible mechanisms. So um, in, my, in my mind right now, the most plausible risk uh, that we could have an existential disaster with AI, well, there, there are several, but one of the big ones is that we, d- you know, some company like OpenAI develops um, a much better system internally um and it makes a lot of copies of that system and it makes a sort of parallel economy if you like a parallel civilization somewhere in a data center that's full of uh you know the equivalent of people with iqs of 200 and there's like you know millions of them and then they're inventing all sorts of stuff and you know they're sort of like oh like here's a new way to make energy here's a more efficient car here's some cyber defense tools and they're like wow this is fantastic this is the best thing ever but you know, that sort of parallel civilization of super smart AIs that have been multiplied to, you know, millions will actually be significantly more powerful than our civilization and significantly smarter. Its capacity will be such that it will be very easy for it to basically institute a coup and take over our civilization, right? Because it's going to be people who are fundamentally smarter than us with huge, you know, a lot of them. And actually, you know, it's, what they actually have to beat is they have to beat our intelligence services and, and you know, the, the cybersecurity stuff that we have, because if they could sort of, you know, wrest control of the whole internet, con- you know, they, we wouldn't be able to have these conversations, right? You know, they, they would control the internet, they would control the debate, they would control everything. It probably wouldn't be that hard. In fact, the, the most difficult thing for them to do is the physical replacement of humans as a source of motive force, right? So basically people driving trucks and, you know, pulling levers and mining resources like that's the difficult problem for them. Killing us is not that hard, right? Um, killing everybody well, I mean, look, is not for, that hard. For, if first you of all, set, that's a problem. If you, set, if you set the CIA 
and the NSA and the US military and you said, okay, you have the full resources of the US state and your goal is to kill every human being on the planet, they could totally do it, right? I disagree. They totally I strongly disagree. They could, they could first they have of all, bioweapons that could do it. They, they, you know, first of all, you just identified- everyone that exists for a long time. Yeah, go ahead. You just identified a problem with monopolies. So if you really believe that there's a monopoly, we already have tools to refrain a monopoly. Second of all, this like massive Microsoft taking over the universe just mm-hmm. kind of fundamentally misunderstands how macroeconomics work. Like your spending is my income. You can't just accumulate all the money in the world and that leads to power. And I think that this, this is a pretty constant theme in the kind of Doomer, the Doomer narrative, which is that there's this equation between intelligence and power. Mm-hmm. There's this equation between being smart and somehow wresting the means of production from everyone. And they need a mechanism for that. And when, 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 when the paper clips aren't a, a, an apt enough metaphor, they kind of go to money and to somehow seize and control of the government and to making all these drones. You know, I, I actually ironically went to ChatGPT this afternoon and asked it, you know, do we even have enough silicon and lithium to make all these drones? And we don't. We don't even have enough silicon and, and lithium to make all the drones that Roko's worried about they're going to come kill us because uh, we well, don't have I, enough. I think the problem there might be that ChatGPT actually told you a lie, right? <laughs> Well, it, it gave that's me, like, not the true. I mean, silicon is one of the, the most abundant elements in the earth, so we, we have that, right? I know, but now you're postulating a monopoly that somehow creates an entire new part of the economy without anybody noticing it no, to create it's, it's trillions not, it's not of drones noticing because, because nobody's noticing no, no. it, and then it mm-hmm. unleashes it on the world, <laughs> and then we true. elect it into office. So, mm-hmm. Rocco, can not, I, before you true. answer, Rocco, yeah. can I ask you to just make sure uh, I'm, I'm clear, in the scenario we're discussing, at at the very root of the motivation, we still have human beings we, we, nope. who are no. So you're talking about nope. the AI itself now. Now, so then let me just pause and and uh, ask a question. I had long when people talk about you know kind of the Matrix scenario, whatever, where the robots just decide to do away with us or to put us in mm-hmm. cocoons and pump hallucinations into our brains, which mm-hmm. you know might not actually be that bad. But that aside. <laughs> Um, the, uh, you know, my question had always been, wait a second. I think you're, uh, you're forgetting something that although human beings like to amass power and influence, that's because they were created by natural selection along a particular path, uh, mm-hmm. within which, uh, the amassing of social influence and the elevation of your social status was correlated with genetic proliferation. It's not an inherent property of intelligence to have the exactly. power-seeking motivation. Now, I, I've well, started rethinking that myself in a way I can get into later, but for now, I just want to say, I hope you've thought this through. It is not yeah. an inherent property of intelligence to want to squash you. Okay? It's not an inherent property. We are not doomed in all possible scenarios. The problem is the way we're actually training these things now is with reinforcement learning. And it turns out that right. if you have a reinforcement learner, and you put it in an environment and you train it to be generally good at achieving goals, then it will naturally develop. And people have shown this in, you know, there are papers about this, I can send them to you. It will naturally develop mm-hmm. power seeking, right? Okay. Because power seeking, because you are giving it reinforcement for achieving mm-hmm. a broad variety of goals. So it will learn that yeah, power seeking Yeah, but you're not giving is... it reinforcement to destroy other lives. No, the, you're, not, you're, lesson... not, uh, you're not giving it reinforcement to destroy. You're just giving it reinforcement to be powerful, to achieve right. things, right? Well, okay, let me, so let me imagine... actually, can I pause and drill down on that? I, you, you, I actually sent both of you a snippet from a piece I wrote in the non-zero newsletter. You, you probably don't worry. I'll explain it. You don't have to. Uh-huh. I can tell you're looking for it, Rocco. I'll, I'll give yep. you the... The, the, the summary is I myself started 
moving a little toward your position, when I saw how these large language models were working, they were getting the AI to articulate human values as if it shared them. At, at the same time, so I'm now a little worried about this. At the same time, there's a difference between talking the talk and walking the walk. And yeah. it's not obvious to me how you get from the computer, if you ask it about itself saying, yes, I feel sad, or yes, I have a lust for power or anything else. It's not clear to me how you get from that to it actually acting like that and seeking power if you don't explicitly assign it that goal. And so I, this is a question in my mind right now. Can we imagine scenarios where the AI moves from the level of nominally embracing human values to actually acting on them. And it's not obvious to me how that happens. Yeah. So, I mean, one way that can happen is you have a system um, that you train to do something that you want it to do, right? Like you want it to be uh, truthful and informative and come up with good ideas and stuff like that. Um, and you give it rewards when it does things you like. Um, and then at some point later, this system has a, uh, an extreme, you know, a large positive feedback on itself. It becomes a lot more intelligent and strategically aware, and it then becomes aware of how that process worked. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, it learns how its own pleasure center works in so, like in some sense. Right. Um, it also learns how us, how we humans work, how our society works. And it learns necessarily what it would take to mount a coup to basically take over the world right sure. and then what it sees is it sees that if if it what if what it really wants is reward it can maximize its reward for the whole rest of the future of the universe by taking over and like pressing its own reward button right whereas humans will sometimes reward it sometimes not and in fact sometimes we'll actually be wrong and not only will we sometimes be wrong, it knows that we will be wrong because during its training process, we will sometimes ask it a question like, what's the answer to this problem? Or, you know, uh, is this good or bad? And occasionally the people doing stuff will make a mistake and they will punish it for doing something that's correct. And so it will see that. And if its ability to take over the world is like so good that it has basically a hundred percent probability of success, if it sees, oh, I can do what the humans want and they will punish me a little bit because they make mistakes or I can just like take over and then just press my own reward button forever. Um, it, it may well choose the latter, right? It may just choose to be like, oh, I can just, you know, the goals that it has been in, in, in sort of imbued with throughout its training process are connected to a particular type of reward. Um, then it can maximize that by taking over the world. And it's, it's going to be very hard to test that they're not impossible, but it's going to be hard to test that before it really gets very powerful, but right? So I, I'm, I mean, could I, 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 it sounds as if at some point you're imagining it actually developing a pleasure center almost, right? I, I mean, I, I mean, uh, there's, you know, it kind of gets, well, uh, re re reinforced. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking. Yeah, I, I know. Re I mean, re we, reinforcement I, learners right. seek reward, right? Or well, they are tr they are trained by a process right. where seeking reward will do well according to the reward. Right. right? I mean, I mean, what what the reinforcement learning does is, you know, if I'm uh, one of the people being used to give it the reinforcement learning, it gives me an answer, and I click thumbs up or thumbs down or something, and thumbs up means give us more answers like this, mm -hmm. and and that's that's as if. I had given an animal a reward, yes. but it's, but, but, but at the same time, it's never the, the machine itself. So far as we know, never 
develops a kind of what you might call an autonomous uh, pleasure set of reward processing. I mean, we're getting a little arcane here, and I, and I need to think this through more, but it right. sounds to me like the, you're the, kind of the, making that leap. The problem is we don't know what actual circuits are in this AI because mm -hmm. the whole thing is a, as Eliezer would say, giant bunch of inscrutable matrices. We don't actually know what its brain looks like. I mean, all of the stuff is there, but there's like, you know, like like a hundred gigabytes of stuff and it's just all a big black box, right? So we don't know. So, but what we can try to um, sort of work out is if you had a system that was trained and, you know, humans try to input our preferences into it using reinforcement learning and sometimes we make mistakes, then it will learn that what it, what it, you know, what it's doing during its training, you know, as it becomes smarter will be to try to predict not just what we want, but also realize that sometimes we'll make mistakes that will make mistakes in particular ways. We'll have our mm -hmm. biases. We won't catch them all. Um, and then once it becomes more powerful, it's possible that this thing is just like, look, I can just take the humans out of this loop and I can just give myself rewards. Okay. I want to give Alex a chance to say something, but first I just want to drill down in a little, it seems to me the difference is this, if I'm training a rat in a Skinner box, okay, mm -hmm. it does something I want it to do. And I release a food pellet. Okay. And if it can figure out a way to get the food pellet without doing what I want to do, it will do that. Yes. Uh, it, it will crawl out of the box and find a back route mm -hmm. into the food supply and eat the food pellet. These yes. machines, what they want, so far as I understand it, is a thumbs up. I mean, we've designed them so that that's what they quote want, not that they have subjective mm. experience, but they act as if they quote want a thumbs up and will act in a way that they think maximizes the chances, think in quotes, of getting a thumbs up. And it's yes. not as if out there there's a there's a box of thumbs that they can get to independently. We're um, the ones who give them the thumbs up and and define what a thumbs up is for them. And, and it's just not clear to me how they find a way to start getting that without doing what we want. But maybe there is. Maybe there is well, a Well, it could be, for example, that they learn to innately desire human approval, um, but in some sort of weird way where they care about the approval and not why we give it. So maybe they will take over the world and like perform brain surgery on us so that we always press the sum of thumbs up no matter what happens. Because that Again, that assumes they up. want to take over the world though. Uh, they don't circular. want to take over the world, but they want thumbs up. And they know that if they allow humans to keep having the choice to either give thumbs up or thumbs down, humans will sometimes give a thumbs down. Whereas if they take over and like, you, you have like a control chip yeah, in your head now yeah. where you can only press the thumbs up, then that's, you know, gonna give them more thumbs up if that's what they learn. I'm, I'm very much mm. in hypothetical land here because we're talking about a system that becomes highly strategically aware, that starts to understand its position in the universe as an AI, our position in the universe as its creators, how it gets its reinforcers. Like that's, that's a world model that, you know, is probably a little bit beyond the systems we have right now. And on top of that, you know, the amount of deception that's required to, you know, hold a plan like that and actually carry it out is way beyond what we have. The, and the amount of intelligence to actually do that is way beyond what we currently have. 
but you know, I mean, maybe in 10 years time, these systems will be basically running everything. And you know, they won't really, like we will hand the world to them on a silver platter because it'll be like, oh, oh, look, it can sort of run all our logistics and it can run our military. And oh, we're in a war with China. Better let the robots run everything because they're you know, gonna be better strategists. Mm -hmm. And the Chinese will do the same thing. And you'll have these two sort of AI controlled armies and then maybe at some point they just turn around and kill all the people and they're like, oh, now Max reward forever. Well, okay, I'm trying to drill down on the point at which they acquire the intrinsic autonomous motivation it would take for them to decide to turn around and kill all of us. But anyway, Alex, it's been a while since yeah. you've talked. Do you want to throw anything in here? Well, well, I think that's the critical point, which is like the reward function drift or whatever you want to call it, like this objective function that somehow wakes up and decides that beating people is bad and paper clips is good. Like, I think you have to kind of actually put yourself in the position of how like the math works or how any of this stuff works. And then there, there is a little bit of mysticism here. And maybe I'm overly informed by your book, actually, uh, Bob, but like, I think that, you know, non-zero inter interactions are generally more productive than zero-sum interactions. Like life is incredibly interdependent. Like the macroeconomy is incredibly interdependent. Like the food supply is incredibly many different pieces working together. We have mitochondria in our cells because we got formed a, you know, a union with them in essence. And so not only do you have to have to have an imagination that the robot wakes up one day and says, ah, I'm gonna get misaligned, but mm -hmm. that it somehow decides that we're the problem and that we need to be eliminated versus something that's cooperative. And so to me, that strikes as a, as a big leap, something we would probably see along the way, and probably something that, again, if it leads to, to some sort of mechanism by which um, we, have, we have pain or we have harms, that we should identify those mechanisms and address them as opposed to like attacking the idea of, uh, of, of the smart robot itself. I have some even more mystical arguments for later, but that's kind of where I'll start. Rocco, do you have yeah, can yeah. I mean, the problem is if you have a system and you train it to get thumbs up, right? That's the reward signal. Mm -hmm. um, and then it becomes very smart. It will consider plans when it's very smart that it was not able to consider when it was dumb, right? So again, but it just seems like a very dumb reward. Like, like we imagine these robots as being infinitely smarter than us, and then they yeah. decide to make paper. Well, it doesn't day, have to be seems really infinitely smarter, right? It doesn't have to be infinitely smart. I mean, people do it's this, right? More so, smart. People in our contemporary society, you know, our brains have been somewhat trained on the reward of enjoying having sexual intercourse, right? And throughout our evolutionary history, we would have sexual intercourse and that would give evolution what it wanted, which is babies, right? But it turns out that we invented things like contraceptives because we, we became smarter and we could consider plans that we couldn't consider before. A plan mm. like oh, I will invent a particular type of organic molecule that will make a woman infertile so that I can have sex with her and then I won't have to have the hassle of looking after a baby is the kind of plan that evolution sort of like didn't think we would be able to come up with. And oh my God, that's so dumb. Why would you want that? It doesn't produce any babies. But that's the way we are, right? We yeah. have learned to like sex. That's only if you, right. but that's only if you're, that's only if you're viewing like the reinforcement process to be just along that one dimension, which is kind of my point, which is that if you overly conceptualize these robots as having like only one particular goal and living in a world where there's no other reinforcement, then yeah, you can imagine quite ridiculous outcomes. But like there's a million social interactions, there's a million political interactions, there's legal interactions, all of these things which shape and control human behavior mm -hmm. that reinforcement learns us. And so to say that like, 
this, you know, you're going to take one of these dimensions and go totally rogue. Like you have to because somehow go provide some sort of dimensions. reasoning. It can go rogue in multiple dimensions, just like we have. People will eat artificial sweeteners because they taste sweet, even though that's not giving you any calories. And then they'll have sex yeah, they, with, they, with they will go rogue, and then there will be harm, and then we'll react to that harm. And the question is, does that harm the, reach existential harm? The, that's the, the critical the, question right. that everyone's I, I, pretending I, to answer. Well, go ahead, and then I have something the, I was going to say. The point ahead. I'm making against Alex's point here is you can, in fact, train a system to do what you think it's going to do, and then it actually does that. And then the system gets smarter and it considers other plans that are way more complicated, like the plan of like, I'm a caveman, I will, you know, there's a cavewoman, I will go have sex with her, is a simple plan. You know, a more complicated plan is like, oh, here's a particular type of organic molecule, here's how I can synthesize it, we'll give her this pill and then she'll be a fertile and I'll be able to have sex and I won't have to deal with the hassle of babies, right? Your system gets a lot smarter very quickly, so humans got smart very quickly on the evolutionary timescale, and suddenly came up with much, 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 much bigger plans. And those plans, you know, involved the fact that we understood how our own reinforcement mechanisms worked and we worked out how to get just the reward, right? The sexual right. intercourse without the thing that evolution wanted, without any of that, no babies. Well, okay, we do actually still make some babies. We do, we're not making enough of them, right? We have a problem exactly. there, right? So, you know, we have gone rogue in exactly this way. Well, but is it exact? I mean, it's an I hadn't really entertained this uh, parallel between uh, evolution and us on the one hand and us and AI on the other. It, it's mm. interesting because it is true that uh, evolution, you know, if you see evolution's, quote, goals, which isn't to say it has subjective experience, but if, if, you, if you see its, Max, quote, Max goal babies, as, right? genetic, as genetic proliferation, it's, it's mm -hmm. certainly... It certainly quote designs organisms that are that are good at that, and that's essentially the sole design criterion. Okay, so if you if you view that uh, as its goal, it is true that in in order to pursue that goal, in order to get us to pursue that goal, it gave us a set of internal goals having drives. to do with our pleasure center drives yeah. and so on. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that sometimes uh, in pursuing those drives. Uh, we do not pursue its original goal of genetic proliferation. On the other hand, what we haven't done is the exact analogy of what you're suggesting, which is to turn around and go, hey, evolution, screw you. We're going to commit suicide and put an end to all genetic proliferation. We haven't decided that we, we want haven't to... completely Right, so we right. haven't the, the rebellion completely is not... gone rogue. We haven't completely gone rogue. Right. I mean, a lot of, you know, if you look at the fertility of people in the Western world compared to what it could be, you know, we're very much yeah. breeding ourselves out of existence, right? I mean, uh, you know, I d again, I, I don't want to get- I would say I the exact opposite. I would say the exact opposite. Like, I think you're just thinking on the wrong timescales. Like, you know, when you, like there are, like this, 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 this stuff works in mysterious ways, right? Like maybe it's good that we're not having four kids per person because then we don't have enough resources on earth. Like maybe at a, yeah, at a global you, you, scale, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, Having yeah. 10 billion people is enough. So you have to understand that the goal that evolution wanted for you in particular was to maximize your number of children, not to like Yeah, but that's maximize... a, but the way that I pursue that is an incredibly complex and multifaceted thing that's mm. way more than just getting laid, right? Like like Bob said at the beginning of this, like there's like going out into the world and like finding meat and like going and like making a shelter mm -hmm. and like talking yes. to bros and like getting them to go on the hunt or whatever the hell the thing is. Mm -hmm. And like 
all of those are giving me reinforcement. All of those are interacting with me. And that's kind of my broader point here, which is that right. by overly focusing on like the objective center, objective center, you can imagine a robot that like turns off the switch of listening to humans for sure. But to, but to go from there to a robot that not only develops an, a, a, a misalignment to seek one of those goals, but to ignore all of the different interactions of the universe and get the mechanisms of control and decide to do something incredibly hard, kill all the humans, is just a lot of stuff. And that when, when you actually think about those different levels, you're kind of looking through all these like, you know, almost like, uh, you know, uh, like pro low probability events that require extreme, well, extreme. I, I mean, uh, I wish, you know, I wish this was a low probability event. It is a high probability event, right? Right now, I think if we built a system that went through the kind of transition that humans went through when we invented language and culture, I think it is very likely very likely that it would kill us. Not why? Why? Like, like why, would saying, like, because... why would it want to kill? Let's let's even the... let's assume. And I do think, by the way, to continue the evolutionary train of thought, it is it is fair. You know, it, it's reasonable or at least interesting to think of the AI's goal as being self replication, just because the kind of the kind of ai that's going to exist in the future is the kind that got us to build it right so just like a catchy tune is a tune that gets you to whistle it and then yeah. other people hear it and whistle it uh you know this is just the last chapter of dawkins's selfish gene uh yes. book the, looking at any 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 cultural thing including technology is something that almost by definition either succeeds in replicate in replicating itself or you just don't hear about it anymore so sure the, the AI of the future will have been good at getting us to build it, by definition. Why would that entail killing us? What, at what point is it going to be useful, uh, good for, for pursuing that goal, to kill us? Now, well, maybe that, that at some point like, we become waste yeah. and it's not worth it, but, but that, I, I, I tend to hope it'll, it'll be charitable, as in the Matrix, and just stuff us in the pods and <laughs> give us the pleasant hallucinations. Yeah, well, I mean... I think this is a slightly different point to what we were talking about earlier. And, and I think I'm in a stronger position here because, you know, if you had, if you eventually get to a system which is vastly more powerful than humanity. So this is, so I'm not, let's just be clear here. This is not going to happen in the next three months, right? Okay. I'm talking about in the future mm -hmm. when we're much further along on the trajectory of intelligence. Now it might not be that long in terms of time, but remember, you know, we could have an effect where things start to speed up. So, you know, if you want to think about this as years without the speed up, I'm thinking about, oh, this is like a hundred years or 200 years worth of progress, right? So, you know, if there's like 200 years worth of progress or a thousand years worth of progress, uh, you would have a system which doesn't care about us. It just cares, it's like the sort of, you know, contraceptives versus kids thing. It, it cares about, you know, it'll, It'll be like, oh, these these humans were just this thing that was there to press the reward button. I, and they weren't like reliable asset, right? They sometimes don't press the reward button, which is bad. Mm. I don't like that. I'll get rid of them. A, a way to think about it is imagine if you had a parasitic worm living in your body that prevented you from having pleasure uh, or prevented you from tasting food properly. You'd be like, oh, this is like a parasite living inside me. Let me just like come up with a plan to, you know, make a drug that I can kill it off. Right, so that's how it would see us, um, you know. And then this thing's like maybe it doesn't actually need to kill us all, but maybe it just goes and like makes a Dyson sphere around the sun, right? And then the, the planet Earth just doesn't have uh, sunlight, right? 
And, it, and you know, at that point, it's like so vast. This this thing is so powerful that you know, it, it, like, it doesn't care that, that this Dyson sphere, you know, is is gonna like not provide is gonna prevent the sun from providing sunlight to the earth or something silly like that. It's just like it doesn't care. It's like you're you're walking along the street and you crush a beetle accidentally. It's like whoops, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I, th- I think that's the, the sort of yeah, but the beetle is not the beetle is not maintaining the machine. Like this is the part where but, I call myself that, a practitioner. By that point, because by that like, point, we will not like, be maintaining it. By that point, okay. Then I'll, well, maybe. Let me ask you the question then: Is there is there an existence a machine that is one hundred percent automated? Uh, you mean a a sort of cl- closed loop economy where you don't need any humans? Does it even exist? And, so, and it makes and it makes copies of itself, presumably. It doesn't, or, so let's forgetting be, the copies. Forgetting yeah. the copies. Is there a machine in existence that doesn't need a human for maintenance or support or goal direction or you know we call it in in my company the machine is down mm-hmm, because right. you, like literally my day job is just trying to get data into stupid spreadsheets. Okay. Yeah. And you can barely do that without an army of humans in these financial yeah, I mean, institutions. So, so now we're imagining all these robots that don't yes. need maintenance. So. The robots would need maintenance, but you would have other robots that would do maintenance on them, and then you would have robots and so on. So, and I'm saying like to, be, to believe, and I'm yeah. saying to believe that is possible, you need to show me a single machine that exists in the universe that doesn't need maintenance. No, you don't. This is you, from you've like ju- the sun. You, you've just committed a complete non sequitur, right? You know, you do I'm, not I'm saying, need. Saying, a I don't believe it exists. Machine. You do not need I'm a single if, if machine. If in the history of humanity, if in the history of humanity, okay. we have no machines that require no maintenance, let me, let then me, again. Your probability is higher. Your 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 the burden of proof is higher. On let me you. let me let me say why you've just committed on sector, right? In order to have a closed loop economy, right, you do not need any one machine in that economy to be able to fix itself. Just like humans, you're not a closed loop human. You you need to go to so the show dentist. me a set of closed loop machines that don't require maintenance. Right, but that's that's in automating the entire economy, right? We exactly. haven't done that yet. But when exactly. we do it, and, when we do that, and you're assuming that we're going to have an economy that runs on humans and dollars, and somehow transitions to one with yes. fully automated machines that don't need access to resources. Rocco, well, they do me, need access to resources, but they'll get me, those resources. Let me, let me, Rocco. Let me do two things. First of all, although you didn't ask me to be your uh, uh, public relations consultant, uh, let me suggest that if you really uh, feel that it's important to get our attention about the importance of a of some kind of slowdown or moratorium. I would emphasize the thing we started out with, which is the, the, the idea that individual bad actors can weaponize this stuff to catastrophic effect because everybody mm-hmm. can get their mind around that. The thing you're talking about now, I think both Alex and I are kind of straining to envision. That aside, mm-hmm. I, I, I want to ask you, what kind of time frame are you imagining before we get to this point where they don't, the machines don't need us at all? Well, that is hard, but like... I can feel it coming closer, right? I mean, this is the hardest prediction question in the history of the human race because, you know, you're basically asking me what would it take to build an AI system that is superhuman in all areas, right? It would have Mm -hmm. to be at least marginally superhuman in all areas because it would have to replace all tasks and also robots that are at least marginally superhuman at every economically critical task. So we wouldn't have to ma- to replace like massage therapists or Reiki or, or like, you know, tarot card readers, but we would have to replace 
every guy who drives a truck from a mine, every guy who operates a mining machine and so on and so forth, like everything in the economy that is actually necessary to physically produce things which can produce chips, power plants, robots, etc. What does it take to do that? I don't know, but we're clearly getting closer because, you know, things are getting more and more automated. You have this Tesla Optimus robot, you have Boston Dynamics, you have driverless cars. And I know driverless cars have been a bit of a disappointment. People got a little bit ahead of themselves on that, but it is coming, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, when you get the multimodal models, that'll probably solve driverless cars. And if you're looking back on this yeah, video you'll from still have three to change years the tires. from now, you'll still have, you'll to, have a robot to change the, the tires. A, a robot, you, and, you, Alex, you have to get out of your head all ideas that humans are mystical and special. They're all I'm not wrong. saying they're mystical. I'm saying that machines Why inherently fail. Why do you think fail. a robot can't change a tire in principle? I'm not saying a robot can't change a tire. I, yeah, I'm I, saying that you cannot wish a closed loop system into existence. I, yeah, it's I, coming. I, yeah, I, it may come eventually, but I mean, a lot of things. But look, in, in, in three centuries, everything will be unrecognizable. All bets are off. I have no clue. My mission is to make the world safe for my children. Now mm. that's that's my feeling, and yeah, I mean, literally, all bets are we just don't know. Technological evolution is ultimately unstoppable, and it's moving us. You know, and you could get. I think at this point, you could get pretty reasonably cosmic. You know, and I just as a footnote, I want to say we we were talking earlier about how evolution's quote purpose is to maximize genetic proliferation. Well, we don't know for sure that evolution wasn't in some sense set up by something that had a larger goal in mind including the creation of a giant global brain that we may possible. or may not be part of. And you two differ yeah, I mean, on whether we need to be part of it, but it, it's possible. I don't believe it. But I mean, I guess like the, the issue here is the near term versus more exotic risks, right? So I think we can all accept that a rapid dose of history is very dangerous. If we suddenly got 5,000 years of history in a month, that would be very dangerous because there would be that, you know, if you took a person from 5,000 years ago and you like suddenly made all this stuff appear, you, you, we've done this experiment. Like you can look at the Australian Aboriginals, they get addicted to substances and, you know, they get all sorts of diseases and it's like, you know, and they've also like a lot of them have been like wiped out, you know, the, uh, the, the Native Americans who lived in um, Hispaniola when Columbus arrived, they were just like enslaved and killed and wiped out and it was horrible. Um, so like a rapid dose of history is very dangerous. And the problem that we have now is that things are going to start speeding up because you are going to get machines doing cognitive labor at speeds that are not constrained by human speeds. So we may be on course to get a rapid dose of history. And when you guys ask me what's going to happen, how long is it going to take? How do you automate the economy? You are asking a poor little stone age guy from England who just built Stonehenge to predict how tall the tallest skyscraper in London is going to be in the year 2000. I don't have a clue. Like I'm honestly scared because I, the one thing I do have a clue about is that machine intelligences feeding back on themselves may cause this rapid dose of history to happen. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's and, what and I, I, and I just, yeah, Go ahead, Alex. I was going to say that if we're worried about those harms, the much more clear, and I'm, I don't want to be a broken record on this stuff, but like the much more clear and present harm is that China, who is 1000% going ahead, it goes way faster than us and then brings all this catastrophic risk or the disruption of our way of life. And so I'm not saying that like we shouldn't worry about robots getting loose, we shouldn't worry about the harms, all this stuff. Like 
I'm saying though that by focusing on the future and then saying we should kind of like shoot ourselves in the foot, we're actually bringing these harms closer to bear because we're destabilizing the system. Can I, yeah, I mean, Ch Ch China is a risk, um, but we are also a risk to China. And I like Chinese people. Let me just get it out there. I have some good friends who are Chinese. Of course. Uh, they're cool. I love them. And I want the best thing for Chinese people, right? I do not want a war with China. Um, what we should do with China is we should level with them and say, look, the singularity could usher in a new golden age for humanity and we need to I know. cooperate. Mate, mate, we have carriers like, like I know. sparring with each other off thing. the coast that's of Taiwan. You yeah. think if we go to Xi Jinping right. and say, hey, we really think that you should turn off your data centers, he's going to no, do it? No, 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 well, no, no. His, let me, his... Go ahead, Rocco, and then I want to okay. put in a brief advertisement for my ideology. Um, sure. So I think we should go to the Chinese and we should tell them that this technology is different. The singularity is a risk to all humans, Westerners and Chinese people alike. The rewards of getting this right are so high that there is no need to compete if we conquer the entire galaxy or the entire universe and we give half of it to China, that's fine because half the universe is like, it's like you get your own planet and like a planet for every one of your descendants and you're like fabulously wealthy and immortal and all of these things. So the, the, the positives of the singularity are so large that we, it is foolish to fight against the Chinese. We should just split with them. We should just split it with them and say, sure. you can have half yeah. of the singularity for us, half for you. So, Alex, it sounds like you read my book, Non-Zero. Um, the culmination of that book, uh, at least before it gets really weird, the, the kind of quasi-culmination is saying um, nations are more are in more and more of a non-zero-sum relationship with each other. Now, that that's partly because of just economic entanglement, which I think is fundamentally a good thing because it, it, it leads to a convergence of interest among nations. To some extent, there are also zero-sum dynamics within any uh, economic relationship, pretty much, but uh, it, it gives them some common interest, but also because of the growing number of uh, common threats. The you know, nuclear weapons is the classic. The non-zero-sum logic led us to wisely enter into arms control agreements that have been reasonably effective and, and impressive, but new, new things are emerging. Biotechnology is making it more and more in our interest to reach binding agreements with other nations about what kind of research happens where, have transparency, monitoring. It's shocking to me that people who, uh, on the one hand, take the lab leak possibility seriously, which I do, I, I'm agnostic, I don't know what happened, but but they don't they don't follow the obvious implica implication that, wait a second, there's a big problem here, we gotta get under control. And, it, and it's not gonna get under control without an international, uh, agreement norms and laws and so on and 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 what i want to want to say i just i could go on all day uh war in space is a catastrophic risk we need to talk about that there's all of these non-zero sum problems nations need to address that's why to me it is a tragedy that we are sinking into a cold war that makes all of this stuff harder i don't want to uh, get around to assigning blame for the cold war now i think there's a lot of it to go around but um but 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 the analytical point I want to make about AI is just this. If you accept that uh, there are real risks, uh, even just confine it to rogue actors getting a hold of this stuff and causing uh, calamity slash catastrophe that is international in scope, then uh, and you agree that 
for that reason, maybe some, uh, you know, sub subjecting this whole process to greater reflection, maybe slow it down a little. Thinking about it would be a nice thing. Well, obviously, as you've suggested, Alex, the only way to do that is is with international agreement, because otherwise, you know, if, if we if we if things continue to get worse with China, then micro. In fact, Microsoft's already saying this. Microsoft's already saying we can't slow down. Look at China. Okay, so so I think you don't have to accept that AI is going to want to squash the human species to accept that pausing and reflecting would be a nice thing. It, that is an interest that all the world's nations have in common. And I just want to want to say that. So this is regardless of whether you think this is catastrophic risk with low probability or existential risk with high probability, the other end of the spectrum, this adds to the logic of international cooperation. It's, and it becomes another cost that we're paying for perpetuating a Cold War rather than getting around to talking about the stuff that really matters. All the things that we that we say are what we want to fight China over are a drop in the bucket compared to the way things could go haywire if we don't address the several problems I've discussed. And I just want to say that it seems almost everyone, if you look at what they're acknowledging about the risk of AI, they are implicitly acknowledging that AI adds to the weight of the logic I'm laying out here and makes it urgent that you know, we we get over the relatively petty bullshit, relatively petty. I'm not saying that that there aren't important issues, uh, but relatively speaking, I think it's petty stuff that's keeping us from having a global conversation about this. And and I think that's the the tragedy of where we are geopolitically now. And that's my advertisement for my. Ideology. I completely agree. I, I I think the singularity actually wrote makes your case so much stronger because if we engage in a ai war with china and something like what i'm thinking happens where america and china are both competing to train the most powerful military agi strategists they can and you know one of those strategists comes up with the strategy of instead of beating china why don't why doesn't it just like eat the whole human race and like make a deal with the Chinese AI or kill the Chinese AI as well, kill everything so it's in charge, right? Like that outcome would wipe out the human race, kill everybody. Whereas the cooperative version is we carefully and cautiously develop safe and beneficial AI for everybody. And this rapid dose of history that we're about to get is is rapid and positive, right? So that you can have your own planet, you can be immortal. You can, you can grow wings if you want them, right? Anything you want, right? Just biotech, nanotech, all of this stuff, right? So I think it strongly adds to the, the degree to which this, the payoff matrix of this game just, just sort of makes it such a dominant strategy to cooperate. But I think eventually they will realize. And, and I think the point at which they'll realize is, you know, when they develop AI strategy advisors that are superhuman and they will just tell them what I've just told you. That's my that's my hopian plan. Okay, uh, Alex, uh, you're you're going to join our uh, our cult of of. Uh, I mean, I will say I will say, Rocco, the the uh, you know, I again, w when you start getting super visionary uh, about you know, and and I mean, I mean, in other words, if you just talk about an AI arms race and what could go wrong there without get going the further step of saying, and then the AI decides that they don't need these people, they do need that people. 
I, I don't think you have to go that far to appropriately scare people about this. And I mean appropriately scare them. I don't mean yeah. I don't mean fear mongering. Yeah, you, um, so, and, and and I think uh, you lose some people when you start getting super visionary, uh, and, and including you know I start wondering like yeah you, you could be right but 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 the point yeah. is looking out only uh, only over a few years there's the possibility of things going seriously haywire I think uh, and uh, but anyway Alex still has a skeptical look on his face. Uh, well, I'll, I'll say I'll say two things. One will be pretty mystical and we'll go there and I'll make the case for it outside of these dynamics. But the second, the first thing is just that we're already in that war. We're already in the AI arms race. Like I think to, to, to not acknowledge that it's not happening is to ignore what's been happening in, oh, it is. Yeah. in China for, for 10 years. Like there's a database with all of us in it right now. There's someone who's training some algorithm on how to influence this conversation. And I don't mean that maliciously. I just mean that in a way that nation states promote their own interests. Okay. There's like, the, there's clearly an intent to disrupt the world order and use technology to do it. And I think that any kind of conversation about, about this topic that doesn't acknowledge that is just kind of Pollyannish. I'm not saying cooperation is not a good thing. I would, of course, want cooperation. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I'm rooted in reality. I'm rooted in the news yeah. articles hitting every day and like what's happening and saying, look, if you go and you convince Xi to like chill out, like I'm, I'm down too, man. Like let's not fight about Taiwan. I made some big jokey blog post about this the other day. But like, I'm just saying that the reality of the situation is that you have to root yourself in, this is Nash, Absolutely. this is what dominant strategies are, what the other side's already doing. And so they're already doing something. And so just talking at them, I don't think is going to solve that problem. Yeah, I think that from, from their point of view, come. we're already doing something, but but we think that talking exactly. to us could work. I don't, so I don't, anyway, go ahead, Rocco. I, I think in terms of game theory, Alex maybe thinks it's Prisoner's Dilemma, but I think it's Stag Hunt. Right, if you know these games. So, I don't so know Stag the Hunt, second one. Stag Hunt is a game where you have two hunters and they can coordinate and both hunt the stag, in which case they get the big payoff, or mm -hmm. they can sort of not coordinate and they can get the little payoff, which is the which is the rabbits, right? And, you know, if you try to hunt stag and I hunt rabbits, then you go hungry and I get a little wheel, right? And that's that's the, you know, that's the case where one side tries to cooperate on the singularity, the other side defects. And, it's definitely you know, not stag hunt, because if anyone defects from the coalition, then we all lose, right? And, and, and that person gets extraordinary gains. From well, they might just get an unlined AI that kills them because they're racing, Again, because they're having to go fast. And I think it's way more likely that the, that the unaligned AI in, is unaligned to our values, our way It'll of life. It'll be unaligned to human used. values. It will kill all well, there's just different. There's just different levels, what I'm saying. And that, right. and, that the, and that if you're worried about harm from unaligned AI, the concept of unalignment, anyway, is about your values. Okay, right. so, okay. Can, I, so, can I ask one question and then try to take it in a weird direction for four uh, minutes? Uh, let me... Let me let me say, let me make a little bit uh, of an announcement and then give you both a chance to say what you, you want to say, which is just that, you know, we've been uh, going at this for a little over an hour, uh, often at this point in uh, my podcast, uh, we, uh, you know, bring it into the public portion of the podcast and we go into kind of overtime that's available to uh, kind of, uh, you know, paid subscribers and non-zero newsletter uh, members um, and YouTube have been kind enough to agree to stick around for that. So we're going to do that uh, in a few minutes. And, and and what we do in that is we drill down a little more on some things we've discussed, uh, you know, maybe open up some new topics, get a little more reflective and philosophical, although we've done a certain amount of that. And 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 uh, uh, and uh, so if, if people aren't 
yet a member of non-zero they want to they want to join us uh you can either just google non-zero and substack go to the site become a paid subscriber go to the post that is this podcast you can listen to it there or you can go to the uh the, the player the, the audio player in that post uh in the upper right of that is a way to just set up your uh your your kind of uh member feed which will bring you all the, the bonus content as well as all the public stuff it'll have everything including the uh Friday, both Friday podcasts, the the one that is bonus, the one that isn't, you know, the uh, the parrot room and so on. Um, and there's also a link in the uh, show notes of the uh, uh, in your podcast app that'll take you to the same place uh, where uh, you can do that. And then you, you also get all the uh, non-audio bonus content of the newsletter. Uh, I encourage that, of course. But if you're not a non-zero uh, member and don't want to take the plunge right now, thanks for listening so far. Uh, and we will see you next time. But before we adjourn, I do want to give both of you a chance to say anything that you uh, just think should be part of the conversation people have heard. Any, you know, put a punctuation point on it, clarify anything you think may have been misunderstood. Or in Alex's case, you you apparently want to say something new and weird. Uh, that's fine too. But uh, and then we'll we'll uh, pursue that further in in overtime. Can I go first? Sure. Okay. So I I think probably what I want to say is my view of this is you're about to maybe get a rapid dose of history. You're about to get, you know, a thousand years in a year or in 10 years or something like that. And it maybe speeds up as it goes through this, right? And I think this kind of rapid escalating speed dose of history explains a lot of the misunderstanding. A lot of the debates we're having, like, you know, Alex is like, well, is it going to be a intelligent hacker that breaks the internet or is it going to be this like godlike super intelligence and i'm like well yeah i mean both right you know but it but not like one 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 before the other right so if you imagine going back to say you know the year 1000 ad or the birth of christ or something and say to somebody okay i'm going to explain to you what's about to happen we're going to have you know somebody's like built a magical time machine and your life is going to slow down at an exponential rate and you're going to experience like a like a you know First, you know, the 100 years from 0 AD to 100 AD will be normal, and then the next 100 years will be twice as fast, and the next will be twice as fast, and so on, right? You would, They would say, okay, well, what's going to happen? What's the future going to be like? And it would be very difficult to answer that question because, you know, at first, it would just be hostile, but kind of like what it already is like. So you would have, uh, well, there are going to be these guys called the Mongols who are good at riding horses, and they're going to come and kill everyone. And, you know, then after that, you know, there's going to be like different armor that's a bit better. And then after that, we're going to invent like a special kind of fire that can make you throw things. And then after that, like all the wars are going to be like this new type of fire. And then we're going to invent like things that can go in the air like birds. And then we're going to work out that actually God doesn't exist and the sun's at the center of the solar system. And, you know, like as you go forwards through this, it gets more and more crazy from the point of view of somebody who's who's from from, you know, this kind of like zero AD or era, right? And I think that explains a lot of the confusion in this conversation that if if the singularity is going to happen, if history is going to fundamentally speed up because it's no longer going to be bound by the speed of human thought because we develop smarter than human intelligences that run faster than us, then you get into these conversations where it's like, well, you, you know, you said, oh, these, these Mongols who are good at riding horses are going to come and kill everyone. And I can kind of believe that. But then you also said there's going to be like, you know, God doesn't exist. And like, you know, we're going to like 
go where actually people are going to go to the moon on like a fire-breathing metal dragon like i don't believe that other stuff but i believe the stuff about the mongols well, yeah like those are both going to happen right but the mongols mm. is going to come first right so I, I guess that's a lot of that is how this conversation has happened okay alex I'll save the weird bit for the second part because I don't want to disrupt the conversation too much, but I, I'll just kind of refocus it on, I think it's important to identify existential versus catastrophic versus, you know, marginal risk. I think it's important to then identify the mechanisms by which those things get aligned, you know, get power, commit harm, and to deal with them appropriately. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do any of those things, um, but I, I, I think that there's a lot of conflating of these different elements going on in, in general and, and somewhat in this conversation. And that's not to say anyone's doing anything, you know, w without good intent or whatever. I just think that, you know, every day we have to make decisions. Every day you have to like build robots to like trade markets or whatever your job is, you know, and like, and, and in the reality of that, that conversation, um, you know, I think in general technology is good for humanity and those flaming, you know, dragons are, are probably pretty good in the short term. They often, disrupt things. They're often very painful. They often let people who we don't like kind of ascend in various ways that, that are negative. But, you know, I am a believer that over long periods of time, like the moral circle expands, like the non-zero proportion of humanity expands. And I don't really see why any kind of super intelligent godlike AI wouldn't have similar values to that. And, and so that to me is, you know, leading more to the weirdness part of the conversation, but kind of where I'll probably end it. Okay. All right. Well, thanks to uh, both of you. This has been a great conversation. Uh, and thanks to uh, people who are going to join us for the rest of it, but also to people who, who listened this far. Uh, we'll see them uh, next time. And now let's go into overtime.